are, episode number 41, No Laugh Track. You've just been listening to some Journey to the Sun, the Circle of Heat, Journey to the Sun. Thank you to those guys. Be sure to uh, like them on Facebook. We really appreciate them letting us use their music. Uh, this is Justin Severson, the host, No Laugh Track. I have two guests today, and one of them uh, is the first ever guest on this podcast whose autograph I have. Really? And let's take a guess who that is. <laughs> As a mystery science fan. All right, it's me. Yay! Yay! Now I'm a dick for not remembering. You. <laughs> you, uh, don't, you don't remember when I walked through that line with 500 people at the, yeah. You weren't wearing that same hat, though, were you? I, I wasn't. See? That was the voice of Chris Bliss. The other guest is Jay Elvis Weinstein. Hello. I don't give autographs. That's the only reason he doesn't have one. Yeah, I'm going to try to hit you up at the end yeah, here. No but um, thank you. Yeah, just real quickly, that was at a, uh, and we'll get into all the, you know, all the history and everything, but it was at the uh, Cinematic Titanic show yeah. uh, in Minneapolis. At the state or the parkway? State. I was a dork that waited in line, got everybody's autograph. You, It's a big part of our shows. Bought like, a DVD. A huge percentage of our audience will stay after for those lines. It's oh. been an important part of the whole experience, I think, for all of us. Oh, hell yeah. So guys, thank you for uh, showing up this morning, a or pleasure. this afternoon, I guess it's the afternoon now. We all had some lunch. You guys ate here today? Well, we were just barely able to make it. We uh, were glued to that Pope thing, but we saw the white smoke, and it's like, okay. Yes. As we free. speak, there is a new Pope has been elected, and we don't know who it is yet. Oh, so. did it? We yes. Breaking news? We do, yes. yes. The white smoke? The white, the white smoke, smoke has appeared, and uh, a new Pope will shit in the woods. Oh, <laughs> but no one will hear it. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, Wow, that's big. Yeah, just this morning on the radio, we were saying about how the... Uh, the Black Smoke. And of course, as a fan of Lost, I don't know if you guys watched that show, I always fear the Black Smoke. Yeah, like the Vatican needs another dark cloud over it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I was told this is your 10th year? It's not our 10th year, but it's our 10th time doing this show. 10th there was time. a couple of times where we came in twice in a year, so it's, our, it's the, 10th, the 10th appearance of this pairing. Sure, like, much like... Uh, Seasons we on our on the radio show we talked to uh, Jeff Probst yesterday the host yeah. of Survivor right yeah and, like season eighteen or something well no it's uh, it's twenty six wow yeah and not twenty six years though twenty six right. seasons so yeah you know, anyway so the same thing there so ten times you guys have been doing this Only together love in the country that we do this show ten time tenth uh, time doing it so we are keeping the dream on life support that's right <laughs> <laughs> is there an end are you ever gonna is this uh, that's should entirely we, up to Lewis Lee, the owner. Is that, that, is that right? As long yes. as Lewis opens this place, and we call him once a year. <laughs> so today's Wednesday. You, uh, you were on stage together last night. We were. It was fun. Yeah. How, how was it? It was fun? A big crowd for a Tuesday. or Actually, for any night, it was a pretty big yeah. crowd. And, and, uh, and a good crowd. And a willing crowd. We were both yeah. in a sort of doing a lot of dark meandering on stage. And they didn't hold a grudge. That was the <laughs> nice right. thing about that crowd. They would that's stop, right. they would go, oh, no, that's too far. But then the next joke, if they liked, they'd go, oh, okay. Yeah, they would uh, They would quickly cleanse their palate and yeah. move on you know, as if something didn't jibe with them. So how, how did it start with the two of you working together? Um, it was really initially inspired by my cowardice. Um, because he wanted to start doing more stand-up again. And, of course, coming from Minneapolis, and, and I was working the club, and he said, Chris, uh, can we do a week together? You know? I said, sure. And then, so, and so I had, I had all the, I had, you know, written all this material and stuff, but I hadn't been out headlining with it, so I didn't, I didn't have it all working in my head, you know? So I, I didn't, I was sort of afraid of doing 
an uninterrupted 45-minute or an hour set. So okay. I suggested to Chris that we do this tag team thing where I'd do like a 10-minute chunk and then go backstage and he'd come out and do a 10-minute chunk. And, and we kept trading like that throughout yeah. the night. Um, and then after we did that for a, the first time and then the second time we came back and said, why don't we just both stay out there? Yeah, the back and forth is just distracting, yeah. and it was actually a lot more fun. It's very fun. It's very fun for me to get to. I mean, to you never get to sit on the stage and watch somebody do their act, let alone a friend of yours. I mean, it's kind of it, it's an interesting. I think even for the audience to see somebody sitting there actually watching. Although I try to instead read. I actually had brought a book on stage. <laughs> I was going to ask how does it go, how does it have to crack the book? Yeah, what does it look like when you're both are on stage at the same time? Uh, we both you know we both have a little uh, stool on either corner of backstage here. Or rather, upstage, and yes. um, you know, and we, you know, we both. And stay somebody engaged, will either know. absolutely kill it in their eight or ten minutes, or take it into a wall of right. steel. And at that, and it, when either one of those moments is reached, it's like your turn. Oh, <laughs> so, so the it's audience, either top that or okay. I've left you at the bottom of the well. Yeah, so you either handed hand that on a platter or in a sinkhole. But one way or the other, it's good for the audience. Sinkhole, because, very very timely yes, uh, reference there. That was nice. Um, he, uh, but uh, yeah, so the audience is safe no matter what. So because that gear change is always going to be a big gear change instead of just... And it's uh, fun for us because you can And we tell. stay engaged with each other, too. Yeah. We talk to each other throughout the sets. Okay, yeah, yeah. But the funny thing has been, like, uh, the, the handover, the top that handover, but the favorite handover is, oh, you just ran me into a wall, your turn. Uh, <laughs> you know, so... I want to so. come the night where you're not getting along and you just let the other guy sweat it out. Would that ever the happen? The only time we ever didn't get along was when Josh was co-writing and directing my one-man show and in the first or second rehearsal just of script reading in the and I was just giving an absolutely lame nothing and he just looked at me and went that's not going to get it <laughs> you know come on this is about your life and you're not even in it so something like that we didn't get out. and then Chris said something like well that's your problem and then everything was fine yeah I was just being a uh, actor a pu- pussy pussy <laughs> oh. I was just being a pussy well what did I think what was that one man show? I think I have that here somewhere. Uh, was- it was initially called "I Was the World's Most Famous Juggler." Yeah, and other dirty laundry. Okay, uh, we did it here at the uh, what Southern, the Southern Theater. Oh, that was for about a month, and then we did it in L.A. for about a month as well. So it was just it was a live show. Yeah, it was. It was, it was uh, autobiographical. It was actually about my brother, my me and my brother, and it was a good show. It was a really good show. It had some great writing in it, and uh, uh, it. Uh, it was a it was a show about it was a feel good tale of assisted suicide and it died a horrible death. <laughs> so, so you, I mean, there were nights when I walked out. I'm not making this up. It was so hard to get an audience for this show in L.A. with no celebrity name attached to it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That one night I walked out and they had roped in uh, twelve juveniles who needed to a- attend the theater for part of their juvenile release. Checklist oh my God. or something. <laughs> no. And there was twelve juveniles, and t- so there's twelve people under the age of eighteen in this show about my brother dying from AIDS. Uh, the humorous. It's a humorous show. Okay, I want to make sure you understand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then three other people scattered in this 99 seat equity waiver house, and it was like it was it was a nightmare. 
Uh, the, the the one review we got was so bad that no, they we ne- got other reviews. There just happened to be one that was so bad that I never, they never ever showed, it, showed to it to Chris. They told me no, the guy didn't write it up. But I saw the oh, reviewer. No. The reviewer fell asleep. It, I, it was easy to see the reviewer. He was one of six people in the theater. <laughs> he ar- he had an argument with his gay boyfriend in the parking lot. Apparently, by the way, yeah. Well, that'll uh, that'll ruin a night and, for anyone. But no, but he, I, he's sitting in the front second row, and he fell asleep five minutes into the show. I mean, literally, it goes like this, five minutes into the show. Mm. And he wrote just this torching, pissy, snarky, really bad review. Like, really almost unprofessional review of Chris that would have shattered Chris like a biscuit. Because <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, I, I was definitely had to, you know, I, I'd been in a, 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 um, in a cold, cold, cold place that made me extremely brittle. <laughs> yes. and, and any flick would have... Well, and it was a vulnerable show. I mean, it was a very... It was, I mean, ultimately, it was the show about his life and helping, his bro- helping and assisting in his brother's suicide at the end of his life. So it was, you know, so it was an intense thing for Chris to have to go through. I, I don't want to minimize that no, aspect. Oh, no, I wasn't up to it as a performer at the time yet, though. But it's kind of hard to catch your rhythm and figure out how a show goes in front of six people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it was. A, I tell you what, though, I've never well, we did a, well in here in Minneapolis. Yeah. It, here we had great audiences and it was very encouraging. And then we couldn't get anything going in Los Angeles. And uh, but I have never been afraid of silence since that show. Because you get so much of it, at some point you just the the idea that oh my god uh, this isn't going well. It's like I mean I knew that before I got to the theater. Nah. So, <laughs> so but it's it's interesting what you can get from a quote unquote unsuccessful show. It's a great piece of writing. It's a great. I'm story. proud of it still. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, of course, wrote the best thing in it. It sounds like it should be a book. Is there? A, it could be a book. That it was could, never it could easily be a book, but it's that a was, book that he has to write because yeah. I don't really want to write. Chris, a book. No. where's the book? <laughs> uh, I'm going to write a book about monument building instead. So I'm going to write a book about building this Bill of Rights monument. That that that'll be my next book. Oh. My, my brother's been dead for years. I mean, honestly, it's over. <laughs> it's beating a dead brother. No, no, no. We have enough zombie shows on the air. I don't need to write a fucking book about this. <laughs> that's, that's true. Say that in the what are our language? Do we have any? Yeah, language? yeah, no, whatever you want. Okay, whatever okay. you want. Absolutely. No, nope, swear, bad mouth uh, people, whatever you want. Speak we'll ill of there. the dead. We already spoke ill of the dead. Yeah. Check that off the list. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's part of my daily ritual. Find somebody dead to speak ill of. Well, before I want to hear about like the other things you guys are doing, you know, right now, if you're just doing these shows, you know, once a year, twice a year here in Minneapolis. Uh, let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's take it back. Now, the real quick uh, version that I could say if I was describing the two of you uh, would be, and I know this is going to sound very narrow, but this is just a very quick version. Josh had to start a mystery science theater. Locally. One of the guys. Yeah. Yes, one of the guys. Yep. Chris, juggler. Those are the super short versions of your bios. We- Rock and roll juggler. I'd like to at least get some hip. Fa- I was a cult juggler the same way he was a Well, let's absolutely. Let's talk about it. Let's start with there. I opened all these rock concerts, you know, so for a lot of uh, uh, cool people. And- like? Drop like. some names for God's sake. Come on. Uh, I know one Eric, we're going to get to. Eric Clapton. Opened for Eric Clapton. Big one. Toured with Asia. Uh, back before they said back in the day. <laughs> uh, toured with Julian Lennon, which was a gas, which I really enjoyed. And now, uh, of course, Michael Jackson is uh, my my key credit, my key concert. I did a stadium tour as Michael Jackson's opening act. How does that happen? Uh, they didn't. They didn't have an act, and they wanted. You know what? You're not even the opening act. 
I learned this term when I was on that show. There's a support act. Support act goes out. You're in a 5,000-seat hall. The uh, headliner can only sell maybe 3,500 seats. You put a support act on it that pulls five to 750 other seats. They're actually supporting the show. You're an opening act. You're not selling any tickets whatsoever, uh, but uh, usually you're with or related to the management of the headline act, and they are prepping the, you know, they're seeding the ground for your future rise, right? In my case, I was what's referred to as a merchandising act. You're on stage to extend the period of time when we can sell $30 T-shirts by one hour. Yeah. To 60,000 people. So, yeah. $30, so, so I actually heard the term merchandising act. And I <laughs> wow. Thought, That's great. That's, uh, you know, I, it's really hard to argue about people putting you in that scale when you're a juggler, though. It's like, hey, right. hey, wait a minute. I'm a, okay, you're right. I drew some, well, I had those two comps. Yeah, <laughs> just two comps from the clown from the local clown school. Yeah, well, as long as they weren't paying you in T-shirts. I heard that I was making nothing and that I was making uh, a million dollars for that tour. I heard both those things. Yeah, and the truth was somewhere in between, close and much closer to nothing. <laughs> I, I want to know more about that. Did you like the globe? Did you see the the? No, that was this. That was the. Uh, uh, I toured with Asia. I toured with, uh, in in Europe. That was kind of fun. But this was with. Uh, uh, this was just stadium tours, mostly NFL stadiums. It was the, the victory tour. The it was victory when he tour. reunited with his brother. Was, the whole, the yeah. whole Jackson and 5. And they did all these NFL stadiums because uh, Chuck Sullivan, who was then owner of the Patriots and lost the team because of the deal he wrote on this contract, uh, uh, was the one who guaranteed the $50 million guarantee. So they'd go out on tour to begin with. And he guaranteed that every that any, that any he would personally buy any unsold tickets. Well, oh, wow. Whatever they were. Fifty dollars a pop, and there's two thousand in a sixty thousand seat stadium. You sort of, sort of, that's your margin right there. Good deal, Chuck. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was uh, it was it was very cool to work sixty thousand people. It's something you'd never think you'd do your whole life. But then again, we did Buffalo. We were forty five minutes late. It's Buffalo, New York. It was freezing cold. The stadium backs up on the lake, and uh, one of the the DJ goes out on stage and says, uh, I, "I gave him a special introduction that night. I said, introduce me as the." as a special guest of the Jackson family because uh-huh. it's Buffalo. They love to boo people. Sure. You know, and they introduced me and everybody's booing. 45,000 people booing. In nice. Place. But I knew it and I never, I used to just walk out and juggle first but this night I was like, all right, full of him. So I grabbed the microphone and I said, didn't you hear that, man? I am a special guest of the Jackson <laughs> family. <laughs> now back off. <laughs> and then shiny objects and I, from that point on they were That's mine. beautiful. <laughs> so that was one of the uh, that was probably one of the early recognitions that maybe I should do stand up instead of right. if you're going to take on the beast in Buffalo. Uh, Did you cross paths with the Jackson family then? I mean, were you? No, uh, I, I, no, I knew the musical director more than anybody else. I met Michael twice in six months. Yeah, one time he walked into my dressing room completely by accident. I was sitting with the musical director. I told that story last night. He said, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was the way the little boys room." Oh no! And oh I no! Said, oh, come on. Well, not the well. It's, it depends on how you read the line. That's now, right. It could you, be a rider item in his case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I didn't realize what he'd said at the time. Right. And, uh, and the other time I met him at the end of the tour, he had his picture taken with a Polaroid picture. And Randy was in that one, so we had to crop Randy out of it. Uh, <laughs> he was in all the... I did so. an award show with him once. Did he speak to you? He did not speak to wait, me. Wait, with Michael? With Michael, yes. Uh, what was, was that? It was an award show called the VH1 Honors. Oh, uh, yeah. Years and years ago. Yeah. And, and I was uh, the head writer of Greg Kinnear's late night talk show. Right. And, and he was going to host the show, so he brought me 
to protect him essentially uh-huh. and then he was shooting a movie and backed out like three days before the award show and they brought in jennifer aniston and so i just my job was basically at that point was just to sort of stand there and be the shamed representative of greg kinnear oh no but i also you know i also was like standing next to the stage in case any celebrities wanted a last minute line or something before they went out oh, that's interesting but Michael Jackson was one of the you people. You were the joke concierge. I was the joke concierge. Michael I'm Jackson a- was one of the guys, and he came up through the floor with Boys to Men, mm-hmm. did a song, and then exited out the building, um, you know, right by me. But it was what was really funny is that, you know, he like was so into being, you know, secure. And there's all these big celebrities backstage, and he's like still acting like, you know, he's in danger backstage ah. at this point. <laughs> you know, so he rushes off stage, and one of the guys from Boys to Men goes, "Yeah." All right, Mike. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael actually turns around and comes back and says bye to all the boys oh, to men guys, and then rushes off as if he's in danger again. Nice. Uh, well, what I would see is, I mean, I'm not a Michael. I was never a Michael Jackson fan, but I would see him by. I mean, he'd be standing at the side of the stage, uh, getting ready to go on, and a small. You'd look at this guy; he was like a waif. Yeah. You said this is just going to blow blow away in the wind. He would walk out on stage and he was 12 feet tall. And, it was, and I'd never seen anybody ever make that kind of personal transition in a matter of six steps. And that, that was like, I, how do you do that? Right. You know, so. Uh, Doctor stage, as they call it. Re- yeah, well, it, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But, I, but that was the thing that impressed me the most. You know, uh, Josh does pretty much the same thing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Even even for this podcast, I was just a waif before I walked on, and now I'm a 250 pound. You know, monster. speaking of, it was last night before we came out on stage, you said, "Let's go out there and make this audience our bitches." That's right. Every night. That's Every right. Night. That's, uh, you know, that's me. Both you guys are really tall. I'm We're not big used to. Yeah, I'm not used to being. Uh, you know, people that come here and uh, the comedians, the acts, the uh, the talent. I'm usually taller. I'm 5'11". You guys are both towering over me. I'm, I'm like sort of 6'1". It's not really towering. It's taller. All right? I don't like <laughs> I it. I just fell under six feet due to uh, spinal compression from age. And I asked my doctor, I said, can you do the gravity boots and get back up to six feet? And he said, yes. For about a half hour. hour. For about three hours. <laughs> okay. Or you hang upside down? Yeah, or you hang upside down. I actually, that does work for I actually have hours. a hang upside down machine at home because I have a messed up disc. Really? Yeah. Sometimes helps. Do you, can you get yourself in and out of it? Yeah, absolutely. What is a little lever that you flip yourself? And it has an axis, and it's it's you know it's designed for people to hang upside down, so they have it pretty much figured out. <laughs> Wait, what am I? I didn't just jerry rig something at home. Why am I picturing my... a sitcom where someone got stuck upside down? Oh, I'm sure. Happened. I mean, if I, yes, if I was writing a, a really broad sitcom, and <laughs> yes, that prop yes. came into my consciousness. You bet your ass, it would be a second act complication. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. I, now, Chris, I was looking through your uh, bio. Uh, I So Josh is the first person who's been on this podcast whose autograph I have at home. And I think uh-huh. he, that's right. Yeah. And, but admit it. Admit it, though. When you were going through the line, it had nothing to do with getting my autograph. Everyone. It's the collective. Yeah, but it was oh, but really. for value, though. There are people who come through the line and they'll have Mystery Science Theater stuff and, and they'll they get to me. To get and then it's like. I don't really want him to sign this, you know, because it's not authentic to that episode or whatever. Oh, and, yeah. And, and the sort of oh. gentle sort of scooching oh. by me trying to either do it politely or just rudely, you know, it's been really interesting to watch. You I'm clearly must set the record for the most appearances on The Tonight Show with someone that's been on this podcast. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> I, was going, I was waiting for the qualifier. Room. On this podcast. Yes. Uh, seven. Is yeah. Is that the record? It's got to be. What was the old record? 
I, just a few, I would think. Yeah, well, I don't know anyone that's uh, this soon. That's gonna and, and, and the next question is now: Were you on with Jack Parr or Johnny Carson? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Stop. <laughs> oh, it's Christmas. Hey, everybody, he's back for the seventh time. <laughs> I saw Andy Kendler at the... Uh, has Andy done your show? Yes. I saw Andy Kendler at the State of the Industry talk yeah. in uh, Montreal. And he does. He says, all right, Karnak the... Uh, Karnak the uh, Magnificent? Magnificent, yeah. right. Uh, and he holds up the envelope to his head and he goes, Jay Leno, Jay Leno, Jay Leno. Tears it off, pops it. Name three reasons the Tonight Show is not funny. <laughs> Classic Ken. Yeah, was that just last year? No, no, that was that oh. was that was that might have been he's, eight years. He's ago. been on that vendetta for close to twenty years. Right? Yeah, it's been yeah. twenty years that Atlanta's been hosting. Yeah, so. probably because I know last year uh, Andy Kindler was here in in Minneapolis at Acme so just the um, the week before he went to Montreal. Yes, I love Andy. He was prepping. Yes, he was prepping. He's also a genuinely funny guy. Yeah, he's a good friend. Lights up any table that you sit at in the conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely one of my favorites. He's great. He's a good, but I edited one of his uh, stand-up specials. Oh, yeah? uh, Yeah, right. I came in and oversaw the editing of it. They were in some, some, they were having difficulties, and I was the friend who had TV experience, so. Oh, (laughs) there you go. I came in and helped. It was fun. I, I love Andy and his wife are both good friends. Yeah, so I met her once too when, uh, when he was in town a few years ago. Um, um, anyway, I did the Tonight Show. Yeah. I was over forty years old the first time I did the Tonight Show. I didn't start doing stand up till I was thirty five or thirty six. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I was very lucky to get on the show at all. When I think back on it. And, uh, it's like you and Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, I know. I, I, mean, I looked a little better than Rodney did at, mm-hmm. at that age because I'm all highway miles. But uh, <laughs> uh, but it's a it's a can't miss proposition because the audience is so excited. Yeah. And uh, well, I've seen people miss. But yeah, I was about to say it. I've it's seen miss. It's, it's not easy to miss. And uh, and it was a great experience. And for me in particular, coming from a you know being a after the third or fourth one, I said I've got this juggling thing. If you're at all interested, and he went. Yeah, you do it. You do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, do you stand up? We don't need the juggling. If we, if we yes, want to juggle, really we like a clown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so I like that also, and and that was uh, although one time I walked out and they were so overamped, and that's what happened with that show. It it became more well, not just the show, but I mean the general culture now is all about cheer loud because it makes you more. Important. I think that was the Arsenio Ripple effect too ha- happened with Leno too. Oh yeah, the dog pops. Yeah. And he moved to the yeah, and he moved to the, the new come out and high five everyone. And, oh, that whole, uh, that's, that's and they're so super annoying. excited and uh, oh, why can't I remember his name? Uh, Branford Marcellus? No, no, no. The actor that was on, oh. who was a, who was a particularly who was a hunk, who was particularly hot, just at that moment in time, and I can see his face in Rodney Dangerfield again. Yeah, no, it was not <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield. I didn't say a blob. I said a hunk. Uh, but they were super excited to see uh, this sex symbol who was coming on, the one who did Face Off with John Travolta, Nicholas Cage. Oh, not Face Off, the one who did the nuclear thing with John Travolta. Oh, Christian Slater. Yes. And he was that was the, some time back when was. people were excited to see Christian Slater. Oh yeah, it was the only time when people were excited to see him. Yeah, uh, but super excited. So I, I and and so when I walk out and do, to do my set, uh, they're roaring and applauding the premises. <laughs> you know, uh, almost anything that I say, uh-huh. and it's completely throwing me off because it has absolutely nothing to do with me. Oh no! And if you were to count the applause breaks, you'd go, "That was an amazing set." Yeah. But for me, it's like. 
these people don't don't even know what they're cheering yeah. for. I they didn't can't get even it. Use this tape because you can't tell how the and jokes play. And my sister play. called me up later that night and she said that was just bizarre. It's like you walked out uh, with a with a handful of pearls and people started going, "Oh, these mints are delicious." <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, and it was a perfect description. So. Yeah. So that whole phony, uh, you know, roo, 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 I mean, that's a, you, you don't want to perform for an audience like that. Yeah. That was, a, I remember I used, when, uh, towards the end of his life, I was friends with Bill Hicks, and he would wow. get so, he would just get so annoyed at audiences that went, woo! You know, I was like, no, laughter or silence. Those are the appropriate responses yeah. to a joke, you know? But that was great. I, I felt very lucky to have a, uh, th- that experience, and I got to do a Letterman. With Fat Boy Slim, and that was incredibly fun, and the yes. Schaefer band, and and six gospel singers behind us, and that was such a cool experience. I watched that this morning online. That well, was that amazing. was just a cool experience because you go in, nobody'd met. We'd met, we'd met uh, Norman is his name. We met Norman the night before. He'd never met me. He'd never met Latif. We'd both done that song for the video. Latif was the rapper, the singer. Okay, and uh, then you go on stage and you rehearse it for a good solid hour. And I didn't realize why they rehearse it for an hour because the directors basically do it. Got a shot list at the end of that hour. Right. He was so tired. You know, he's made yeah, up it's all camera blocking. Is yeah, what it's they're all doing. camera. Yeah, yeah and, and I didn't. But that was it. And then you come back out and finish the show, and it was like far better than anything in the rehearsal, which is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, good. And then you see the cut, and it's like a really good cut. And they went, "That was fun." Uh, uh, but who? I mean, to do a, I was, I was in the band. It was great. It was I was really, in the band. Was so, the so most... for me, it's like check that off the list in the band. So, right. That's really cool. Tell, say a little bit more about how that. Uh, you know, for people because I read a little bit about it and watched the video. But how did that, the Fat Boy Slim video? When that juggling, I had this juggling video that uh, had been sitting on a website for four years. YouTube came along, all of a sudden it exploded as a viral video. Really went all over the place. And Fat Boy Slim saw it and said, uh, "And I get this request: Would you be in Fat Boy Slim's next music video?" I didn't particularly think the video was great, but uh, the, the video was me juggling to the song, so I didn't particularly like myself. Yeah. But that's all that it was, and. Uh, and then when he came to do the show uh, to do the song on Letterman I get this invitation would you come to New York and perform this live which is that's pressure let me tell you right now Uh, (laughs) well the other thing about Chris and the juggling is as your friend I mean I've watched there was like this sort of 20 year period where Chris was sort of distancing himself from the juggling you know it was because you know at first Chris you know the big, the thing that made got you stand up work was the juggling thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It got, yeah, it got me so many things. From he would close his show with the juggling thing, and no one could follow him. So boom, he's a headliner. <laughs> and uh, as Josh said to me after several years, when, when I met you, you were a passable middle with a great closer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and you know, short, but, sweet, to the point, but you accurate. Know, but also, Chris became a really great stand-up over the years, and you know, and because of the sort of you know, and wanted that to sort of stand on its own. Sure. And then this viral video thing happened, and all this love came pouring into you, and you finally got to a place of peace with the juggling kind of. Well, completely. And the Fat Boy Slim thing. I, I mean, it, it was funny because I didn't realize. I mean, I didn't realize at first it was the weapon of choice. I mean, I, for some reason, I wasn't. You know, I like the stuff of his that I've heard, but I wasn't like, I didn't have all, I didn't know instantly who it was. As soon as I saw that, I went, I'll do this guy's video. He's not going to turn me into a clown. No. Uh, You know, he's a serious guy. And then to do that, I mean, that that was one of the best times 
that I've ever had. Although I don't think Paul Schaefer liked me. He looked at me like, what are you doing here? I think Paul Schaefer is kind of a miserable prick from what I hear. So. Oh, okay. Well, mm. good. Well, from what I hear, I'm not saying that, Paul Schaefer. I've just heard things from people. Just, you're, but you're not talking about the same Paul Schaefer either, are you? Yours spells it differently. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Not the Canadian Paul Schaefer. Right. No, not that one. The, the other one. Oh, yeah. there's another one? <laughs> what, so year, anyway, what, so what year did that happen? I, two, two thousand, I want to say 2006. Yeah. I think 2006, yeah. So that's one of those things. I mean, all the, that whole ride uh, was great. Uh, I got to speak at a conference uh, that Bob Geldof was at. Was came two speakers after me, which was a remarkable experience. I got to do a hole in the wall gang camp with Paul Newman, that wound up being very helpful for the Bill of Rights project. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it was totally unexpected too. As you, that was the that was the amazing thing. Yeah. 20 years after I stopped doing it as a full-time thing. Um, yeah. Tw- it was kind of like a waiting for Sugar Man thing with juggling. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> and it was also the only piece of good tape I ever had on that act uh, after I started doing comedy. The whole reason I took the gig in Montreal just doing that at the Montreal Festival for the French side of the festival was that I wanted uh, something with me with gray hair in it. Oh. For my corporate buyers. I mean, it was totally venal. And then it oh turns my goodness. out to be... Yeah, it was very cool. No, I was watching cool. some video on your... Uh, on your site this morning, and it had uh, it was a bunch of clips, and I, maybe it had something from the uh, Letterman pro- thing. You're probably watching, yeah. That's that's I'm de- that's actually a work in progress. That, that's the corporate site that I don't have together because I just can't stomach doing. Well, but what I did see in there, did they reference you? Uh, look like was it Desperate, Desperate Housewives? Housewives? Yeah, yeah. Really, the other right. thing that happened. Josh and I, we we uh, we we both enjoyed. Uh, you went to you told me about the guy who did the disc crisp listing and said, "Don't worry about him, Chris. The uh, the hippies have beaten him down." Oh yeah, there was this because the the one the one people the, the one, one group, group of, of people, people who did not have a good feeling about Chris's juggling viral success were jugglers. Were, were, yeah, juggled they were these living. bitter asshole jugglers <laughs> all over the place. Because really, it's Chris juggling three balls. It's just three know? balls. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if I'm a juggler, I'm going. I can't believe they're eating up this crap. <laughs> right, right, right. And so someone, I do nine knives at a live peacock and so someone did this um you know and chris's video for those of you who haven't seen it, it's chris in front of a theater about four thousand people doing this thing so this guy does a video he calls the chris bliss diss and it's him you know juggling eight five balls five balls you know doing doing an impressive juggling was it thing. to music as well he it was to his, his the, soundtrack. the soundtrack off of my complete with the audience jerry and he did it in like oh what was it a basket it was like a, a, gym, a little gym, gym kind oh, of boy. thing and, and and apparently relentless cuts, relentless cuts and edits on it. There was edits, and there was like no, there was no grace to it. You know, okay. it was just this act of juggling hostility. <laughs> you know, that's really and funny. Was, I watched about thirty seconds of it. I was having the best time of my life with this thing, and I just went, I don't need to watch this. This is just sad. Yeah, and all the comments were like, dude, it's the, the that's not the same at all. His makes me feel good. And, you know, <laughs> so, so, so I didn't, but but I knew about this, but I didn't know about it. And and Josh told me, don't worry about that guy the hippies beat him into submission that's hysterically uh, oh that's awesome because it's a, that Beatles piece of music and everything so right. didn't you tell me later that like he was a guy who like lived in Pendulette's basement he lived in Pendulette put, put him up to it <laughs> Penn told me he put him up to oh, it oh really yeah he, this guy was living in Penn's basement in Vegas because he's a Vegas act okay uh, and Penn goes well you know me Chris when I when I see a wasp a hornet's nest I've got to poke a stick into it <laughs> oh my he said as a juggler myself uh uh, and, and I tried to cop to being an ex juggler. He goes, Chris, there's no such thing as an ex juggler. You can't pull that. Yeah. You know, what's juggling? You know, you know what bitter fucks the jugglers. I was the same thing you were saying. Right. I'm reading his book right now, uh, Every Day's an Atheist Holiday. I don't know. That's holiday. the only time I talk. Every Day's what? An Atheist Holiday, uh, Penn Jillette's book. 
And uh, I didn't know, and I I was surprised to find out, I don't know why I never heard this, that he worked at the Renaissance Festival. Yeah, that's he where and Teller, he and Ben and Teller kind of started out. At the Renaissance Festival in Minnesota. Yeah. Wow. Yes, indeed. Did you ever do anything like that? Because that's where, you know, he was, you know, he, he talks worked, about in that book about, you know, selling his own tickets. A, I worked as a street act once in San Francisco when I needed to, I uh, went to some park. I w- because this, my whole thing was always set to music and stuff, and I took a boombox out to the park. And I made, in two hours, a dollar and fifty cents in quarters. I was, but that was a nineteen sixty eight dollar and fifty cents. That is almost like five dollars today. Um, and I, I just was super uncomfortable about it. And I was the street acts. Had, their skill is working an audience. I had, I had no ability at all doing that. So. Yeah, from what he says in that book, yeah. he was they were very successful in making actually more money being street acts at some points than you know yeah, being and, hired and somewhere. I, and I, uh, of course, and of course, for me, I looked down on those people at the time because they were making more money than I was. Ah, see, and that's the role you look down. Well, you're not a professional; you don't work on a real stage. Uh, you know, the correct answer to your question is uh, the only place I like to work is is on a proper stage in front of a paying audience. <laughs> yes. Uh, or as the merchandising act in front of the Jackson. <laughs> I mean, because I've got standards. So. I just, I, I'm picturing the, uh, did they, they released an album all, along with that. The Victory, uh, what was it called? I think it was, it was Victory. Victory yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the the cover? Wasn't, weren't they all wearing like metallic yeah. like, jumpsuits? Yeah, or it's, uh, it's the same stuff they were wearing when Michael Jackson's hair caught fire in that, video, in that Pepsi, the Pepsi commercial. commercial. That's right. Yeah. That's right. My goodness! Well, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan, so I loved uh, just hearing you talk all about that. But, um, so Josh, yes, let's move on to you here. Okay, this is only the like second or third time I've had two people uh, on the podcast at the same time, so I hope I'm doing this. You're doing it. You're, you're doing a fine job. I don't, you are fucking nailing. Well, it, we'll, my we'll we'll find out later. But um, uh, I was talking to a guy I work with, uh, Jeff Passolt. You know that name? I do. Indeed. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him, uh, uh, you know, he still works on the radio show over at KQ with us. And I was talking to him yesterday and saying how... I think we're now joining you uh, on KQ on uh, Thursday, I think. I think it's just you. Is it just me? Oh, I thought it was. I think it's both of us. Oh, both. It was, okay. This just came in this morning. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't even told. I produced the damn show. I'm glad someone told Someone me. must have fallen out, is my <laughs> guess. <laughs> no, I doubt it. I doubt it. We always try to add more. But uh, he was telling me, I, I was telling... Um, I was telling him that I was going to talk to you today. He's like, oh, St. Louis Park guy. That's sure. Right. And he goes, do you know the story? And he brought up a story about a picture. Do you know where this is going? The the uh, Backyard 11 picture? There was a, he said it was his, uh, his, his Christmas, his family photo for Christmas. And they were passing it around the studio. This is well before my time. And you were in studio. And, uh, and they, were, they were passing it around. And someone noticed... That his dog had a boner in the picture. Does this sound familiar <laughs> at all? I don't remember this at all. Really? I don't. He you said, would think that I would. He said that uh, they noticed that there was the do- his dogs in the corner of the picture had a raging heart on. <laughs> and then someone, somehow, that story changed hands here and there and there. And then, like two years later, or a year later, that Seinfeld episode came out. Where uh, remember Elaine had the uh, nip slip oh, yeah. on the Christmas photo? Yeah, 
Am I making this up? I, you, you know, have either no you have any connection to that at all? I have all? no recollection of that whatsoever. No. Really? It's a different. Con- I've never worked on Seinfeld, so no, might, no, no. Okay. I know, I know that. But he, like, someone knew someone. You knew someone, and that story passed no, hands. I think he's or? assigned that story to a different comic. But Passel, the thing that Passel had is my parents actually hired Jeff Passel to shovel our walk. Oh. When I was a little before my brother and I were old enough. Oh, really? He was like a neighborhood kid, and he used to shovel our walk. Yeah. So. And he's had a raging dog boner for you ever since. I, do, I swear <laughs> to God, I would remember the raging dog boner story. But now we're going to go on on, t- on Thursday, and I'm going to have to play along. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I might. I am. I can't say that I'm not the kind of person who might spot the dog boner. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm an observant guy, but or perhaps cause the dog boner and then put the dog in the photo. Oh, that's right. right. This was years before Photoshop. I'm sure if I if I can't remember it. So I want to talk about this, like where you started. Uh, I started um, right here in Minneapolis at 15, doing stand up. 15. Yeah. How is that possible? Um, it was possible on a couple of levels. One, I started at a club called the Ha Ha Club, which no longer exists, Mm-mm. but it was on 28th and Hennepin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was born as the Comedy Cabaret and then became the Ha Ha Club. And then I think it was like a theater sports for a while. And it's like a garage on 28th and Hennepin, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they had no liquor license, so it was oh, all okay. ages. So I started doing stand-up, doing open stages there. Uh, but within six months, I was working every club in town and... I I didn't look 16, you know, or 15. I looked like I was probably in my, you know, low to mid-20s, and I didn't talk about being a kid. You had that deep voice even then. Yeah, and I didn't talk about being a kid on stage, so just no one cared, you know, and then I just very quickly became a part of the Twin Cities comedy scene and one of the comics, and, you know, it would occasionally come up my age, but it wasn't wasn't my hook, you know. So 15, you start doing the uh, stand-up on stage. On stage. 16, I started going on the road during spring break and summer vacation from from high school. And then, <laughs> wow. Um, I graduated and I was 17, and then we started doing Mystery Science Theater. Right, that for, I, I went to the University of Minnesota when we were doing it as a local show. Uh, and then uh, on TV, then KTMA, TV 23. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then dropped out when we sold it to Comedy Channel. Or it was Comedy Channel right, at right. the time. Back How then. old were you when you moved to Los Angeles? I was 20 when I moved to L.A. Under 21 when you moved to L.A. And and how? what age were you when you were the head writer for Greg Kinnear? I think 23. Holy crap. No, sh- no, no, absolutely. <laughs> Holy what? white smoke crap. <laughs> Remind me, Kinnear was after... Bob Costas had that slot. Yeah, he took over and then Costas' show. Yeah, yeah. How was it working with him? Uh, it was good. He was in a very nervous kind of phase because a lot of sh- stuff started happening for him. He had been doing talk soup on yeah, E, yeah, and people had sort of discovered him through that. Um, and so, like most of the time, he was when he started doing later was also right when Conan started doing his show, and there was still all this very big uncertainty about about conan and whether he was going to be around what sure. they going to say and oh, they yeah. sort of they were like kept sort of hinting to greg that they were grooming him to take that show and then greg started getting a move you know movie offers to do like sabrina with Sidney pollock and oh yeah so he had a lot of crap going on in his life and he was very like i think at that point insecure that all of it could go away at any second hmm. are we um, all <laughs> so all it, because of one weinstein so he was a. Uh, 
um, I think he liked me. I was the I was a staff writer for the first year, and then the second year I was the head writer, and he uh, I he I think I calmed him some because he uh, he wasn't a comic really. Mm-mm. So I could just go in there and I would go, okay, I think that's the joke you should use. That's the one. And he goes, that's You gave fu- him confidence. Is that funny? I go, yes, that's funny. And then he'd be fine, you know. But if you didn't give him that assurance, then then he just, he, he would be, he would be. And nervous. then you proved right, didn't you? More often, you, more often than not, yeah. Or yeah. I wouldn't have had a job. Right. <laughs> but um, No, that was, you made that, a, I mean, you helped make that, let's say. But that was a funny show. But I, but I, you know, it's been very interesting to watch him become a, a genuinely good actor yeah. and and movie star guy over the years. I haven't I haven't really kept in touch with him, but he uh, uh, but I married his assistant uh, from oh, really? that show. So, oh, look at yes. that! You always have a connection. Yeah, poaching is what we call it. Is that, that so. poaching? <laughs> okay, not illegal poaching though. No, no. no. How many episodes of uh, Mystery Science Theater were you? Were you on? Were you with? I did. We did like twenty or twenty-two locally, and then I did. I think the first thirteen when it went to Comedy Channel, and then left after. And then that. you left after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you saw Cinematic Titanic, though. Yeah. That's oh a, yeah. That's. I mean, and a different episode. I, I I went to see it in when when you played Mesa. Right. What a funny show. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you you have some some dates coming up. We do, yeah. That, this right? we're actually this is going to be our last year of doing it. We're, really? Yeah, we had just we announced a few weeks ago that the 2013 will be our last uh, touring year. And am, are my emails from the mailing list going into my spam? They or, could well be because I don't yeah, haven't seen one in a out, long time. We sent one out a couple weeks. Ago. Yeah, yeah, I used to get them all the time. You you sign it was your name on the bottom of them. Initially, yeah. I mean, yeah. I usually wrote them, but the last year or so, someone else has been oh, writing them. Okay. But, not very frequently, apparently, but I'm gonna have to check the spam folder because I used to get those every now. No, and you then. got the word on it now. Yeah, well, so, I, yeah. I guess. What do I need that for? I can but get what cinematic Titanic is the, for those listening is it's the, the it's the original cast of Mystery Science Theater: Joel Hodgson, Trace Beaulieu, and me, and then also Frank Conniff, who came in right after I left, and Mary Jo Peel. You know, all of whom are Minneapolis comics initially. And, yeah. Actors and all been you know a big part of Mystery Science Theater. Most a lot of them bigger than me, and in some ways, I think people people certainly remember the others from the show more than me because I left so early. Right, I'm, I'm right. kind of the Dick York or Chuck Cunningham of uh, <laughs> of Mystery Science Theater to a lot of people. Dick so. York, yeah, but it's an extreme. I mean, I, you know, people go see uh, Late Night Catechism or Menopause the Musical. And that's what passes for pop theater these days or whatever, pop comedy theater. I don't know if you call it that. But this show is one of the funny – I mean, I, I told you afterwards, and I haven't forgotten it. It's as, it's as, it, Because it's great writing, 600 jokes you told me, right? Yeah, we get up to that. 600 jokes. If a third of them are take-homes. I mean, that's, yeah. that's going to be much better than the poor bastards that come to see this show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so – so, but really, I mean, didn't you think it was just a flat-out, really entertaining show? Yeah, I absolutely All loved it. All those guys on stage, uh, I, I, I thought it was terrifically funny. Well, that was at the state. That was the first time we had actually mounted the full stage production, too. Yeah, I was very curious on how you were going to do that live. Um, you know, I mean, it's and different I it, seeing. I saw it probably eighteen months after you started, maybe two years. Yeah, the second year. What a great show! It yeah. really and is different made seeing you a the people. Performer too, hasn't it? Oh yeah, it's you know it's you play these theaters. You know we've done a hundred and some shows, so it's 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 pretty nutritious as a performer. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it know? really is. That's a meat sandwich. Did yeah. you ever think you would go back to doing that type of you know mystery science theater like 
performance? No, I mean, I had done so much video mocking in different forms over the years that, you know, because I, I was the head writer of America's Funniest Home Videos for, right. you know, for a couple of years and then consulted for years after that. And, you know, I worked on Talk Soup and I did, you know, and I did a pilot for FX, a series for FX that was kind of movie mocking. And so, you know, I had done so much of that kind of joke writing over the years that, it was, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't looking to do more of it necessarily, um, but it's something that comes pretty natural, you know. This, yeah. This actually came down mostly because it was during the 2007 Writers Guild strike. I was on strike when Joel asked me if we wanted to do this DVD of one of a movie. And I, you know, I could, I literally couldn't do anything else. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was totally into the idea of doing something and then we did we taped the episode and then we went and performed a live show like the next day at ILM for the for Lucas's employees oh wow and no uh, holy cow and we kind of went oh this live thing kind of hmm you know and that it developed we've done we did a dozen DVDs but it was really the live thing felt like it was at least the next evolution yeah of of, my, of movie riffing as we call but it but super super funny I mean just super funny so many jokes I mean, you think of it, you can call it movie riffing, but the jokes are uh, very, I mean, they're topical. It's, 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 it's really funny. And then there's self-referencing that goes on within the whole, right. I mean, it's just really good comedy writing. I, I think it got, uh, if anything, that, that typing of being, you know, uh, video mocking or movie mocking doesn't, just doesn't cover what a good show it is. Just doesn't cover, just doesn't, you don't visualize that it's as funny as any of the comedies you're going to see in theaters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're right. Although Book of Mormon kind of blew, well, Book of blew Mo- me well, that's away. A, all right, Book really of Mormon. Did. Yeah, well, that's a problem. <laughs> Although the, one of the guy who wrote it is a big mystery science theater. There you fan, go. So the guy who wrote the music. Are you ever surprised by people that have come up to you? Uh, you know, not some nobody like me, but I'm saying like famous people that have come to me, like be like, I was such a huge mystery science fan. I, just, I was just, Keith Overman was one that, uh, he was an early fan. Um, I just saw John Hodgman in Portland the other day, and he was, he's, He's a big fan. He came to our show in New York, and what's weird to me that you know because I was really away from it. I you know I left as a kid, and I didn't leave under good circumstances when I left MST, and so I'd sort of gone off to have my own career track, and that was always you know a footnote of what I've done, you know. And then Freaks and Geeks kind of gave me another sort mm-hmm. of uh, you know nerdy nerd cred sure. sort of thing nerd but cred. big nerd cred kid. but i've been away from big the mystery science cred. theater world and then came back to find that there was still this big community of fans and that you know a lot of them did know who i was and that you know um you know i was i was sort of written back into the story of mystery science theater again over the last five years and it's been interesting to 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 be a part of that i don't remember what my initial point was and in all this but no i was uh look any other people that have come up to you and yeah oh but the th- yeah the thing that's been weird to me is there's been a lot of comedy writers and comics and stuff i've met over the years and that it's hard for me to accept that there are people who view mystery science theater the way that we at mystery science view monty python or fire sign theater or, mm-hmm. you know what you know that we're one of those comedy benchmarks to people and it's you are yeah but it's you know but it's 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 hard to i can't fully embrace that i, I can't yeah, i, I can't accept that really yeah but, yeah i would still but say it's really not, but it's it. cool it's super cool to hear from people it's that, way above world's most famous juggler my friend Let me <laughs> <laughs> at least you're in so, a real category you know, and plus the fact is you know I, I i take a lot of pride in the fact that i helped 
develop the Absolutely. show and establish what yeah. the show was. But the best years of the show didn't include me. The thing that people really became giant fans of sort of came later because just it, our, when I was on, it wasn't even in that many markets, you know. Right, right, right. And so by the time people they reran my episodes, I became like the you know. So uh, you're Pete Best. Uh, I am kind of Pete Best. Or uh, Ringo came along. And the band took off. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think that, you know, it's <laughs> not because they needed a better drummer. It was because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had shit to do. That's why. Uh, yeah. No, it was all, it was mostly personality crap going on back then. But uh, do you have people coming up and showing you like their Tom Servo tattoo or anything? Oh, like yeah. I've yeah. seen tons of tattoos. There's tons of people with actual Tom Servo models that come up. Oh, they make them, make their own. They right? make them, and there's a market out there. There's people who build them and sell them, too. And I've seen, I, uh, yeah, there's, there's YouTube this whole black to... market of all the exact toys and, you know, because all the robots and shit on Mystery Science Theater were made up of different found objects. So there's like, you know, all of those objects are exactly cataloged. What company, what model, what, oh, you know. Yeah, why and some of them be? aren't made anymore. And some people actually have a little business injection molding the replacement parts. And it's really? just like, yeah, it's this incredible subculture of people. I can't afford are, to be that big of a fan, but that sounds really cool. I've never been that big a fan of anything <laughs> in my life. Cross line you know? for, it's no longer a subculture. It's just sort of a fungus. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's uh, it's incredibly flattering that to have been part of something that stuck in the culture somehow. You know? Yeah. And I think because it, it is, because now the culture of commentary is, is there, commentary is it, we get this sort of extra level of credit for being sort of ahead of the curve in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of that. And it was. That, you know? that it was. Mm-hmm. Sure. I always think about... Uh, 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 Don Novella, Guido Sarducci. The yeah. Laszlo Letters is kind of a found comedy kind of thing like uh, like Borat, only it's with letters. Right, where absolutely. It's a, where it's the fake letter thing, but you really can't... I mean, all that kind of idea of why, what if we actually inter- put ourselves in the real world situation, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. How do I people mean, react? But it's been... It's, I mean, th- that did open a whole new door. Those kind of ways of approaching it, a whole new door to uh, where you're actually interacting with the reality you're mocking. Right. You know. Do you I don't know about. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what the post irony world looks like. We're pretty far down that irony road. Yeah, it is an ironic world we live in. Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And at some point, (laughs) at some point, that becomes oppressive too. Do you have a uh, favorite episode that you were a part of? Of Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. Um. Boy, you know, it's all, it's kind of a blur. The one that, you know, I can't, in my head, I can't necessarily match up the skits with the movies anymore. And, uh, sure. Um, the thing I remember, one of the one I remember writing because we, it was the one time we brought booze into the equation. Hey, was, here uh, we go. Called Wasted Youth, uh, with Mamie Van Doren. Oh, yeah. Was, you know, very 50s kind of, you know, teen on a juvenile delinquent farm kind of movie. And uh, it was hard to write, and uh, and uh, we brought in uh, tequila and Mickey's Big Mouths to, to Classy. write it. Classy. Um, but... Uh, to boost the script? But I don't really have... I'm Now it's like, you know, a Cinematic Titanic has kind of replaced all of those. I suppose. You know, we've done I suppose. like 14 movies. Yeah, the one I saw at the State Theater would have been... I think you saw Blood of the Vampire yes! there. It was like a... A Filipino vampire movie that was set in Mexico 
in the in the eighteen hundreds, and it had like it had like people in blackface. That's as, right. Uh, you know, to represent black servants. That's and it right. Was just, it and was, you could see the lines of makeup. It was just the, a ninety-minute hate crime that movie, <laughs> but uh, but uh, a good fodder. Yeah, at perfect fodder. And then in the one I bought was uh, Oozing Skull. The Oozing Skull. Yeah, yes. that was our first. That oh, was okay. Our very first one. Yeah. And now I hadn't seen it before I bought it. I bought that strictly based on I'm going to get this signed by these guys, and the cover is cool. Yeah. Well, I'll go to a go, and they're all now on Amazon. And in fact, there are the first ten episodes are on Hulu now. If you're interested to go watch uh, Cinematic Titanic uh, for free, oh go to yeah, Hulu. I, I definitely encourage people uh, to do that. I haven't seen all of them, so yeah, I recommend East Meets Watts is one of my favorite, which oh, is a you know really kung exploitation yes. kind of movie. Yeah, really uh, um, but yeah, no, it's been really fun. It's, Did you? Uh, you know, I know that you said when you when you left the mystery science guys that you know it wasn't on the best of terms. Did you keep track of? You know, did you watch ever once you were gone? I never really you... watched again. No, I would watch like if Frank uh, Conniff and Trace were on doing their mad scientist stuff. Like if I turned on during a sketch, I would generally watch the sketch. Mm-hmm. But I had no interest in watching other people riff movies and i still don't yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, it's yeah. kind of like it's, for me it's like improv it's fun to do but it's no fun to watch you sure know? sure what what uh how was the experience on funniest videos um it was good it was interesting because they brought me in um as after saget left and so the show was really kind of on its last legs at that moment it did about- it go straight from saget to uh, what's his name uh, uh no they brought me in to um uh, as the head writer, and I was really reticent about even taking the meeting because I didn't like the Saget version of the show at okay, all. It yeah. was, you know, and and so my it's kind of corny. It was corny, and you know the videos were funny, you yeah. know. But then if you watched it muted, you could watch it, you yeah, know. Yeah. But but the wall, the wall falsetto animal voices and. You know, it was just you know, and and Saget just always divorcing himself from every word that he said on screen, and yeah. so I went in there with a with like a pretty punky little attitude, going you know, I I everyone I know watches the show on mute. I would change everything but the videos and blah 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 blah, and they kind of went okay, go for it. You oh know? wow! They really had nothing to lose at that point because the show was about to go off the air after seven years. Yeah, you know. Or eight years, and uh, so they they had the hosts at that time were John Fugel sang. Oh, and the blonde and, uh, and Daisy Fuentes. Not oh, a Daisy Fuentes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I did two seasons uh, with them, and it kind of revived the show. And uh, you know, and they and cosmetically the show still looked kind of like a 1950s variety show, you know, because that was the sensibility of the executive sure. producer. But comedically, they kind of let me build comedy into the show and not make everything be a narration of the clip so much as letting the clips be the punchline to a joke sometime and let you know yeah just changing the forms and the reasons why you're gripping grouping clips together and so it was it ended up being something that you know i i i, I there was a lot of comedy we did that i was proud of you know the 1812 overture emmy worthy the 1812 overture to uh, uh babies vomiting oh uh, montage are you behind that uh, yes, <laughs> I believe the term mastermind could be applied. Mastermind of the and ultimately it helped me get a job on Freaks and Geeks. That piece because <laughs> Judd Apatow remembered it above all the other shit. But Apatow had had it so happened that Apatow Judd Apatow had just had his first baby, um, 
at the same time that my AFVs were running, and they started running them on Saturday nights mm-hmm. uh, in a pretty invisible time slot. But Judd happened to be home with the baby oh, sure. at that time, young dad, right? And so when I went in to meet with Freaks and Ge- uh, for the Freaks and Geeks meeting, he like had this long list of all the things he really liked. I was doing on America's Funniest Home wow. Videos, and he's the only person in show business in 20 years who has ever mentioned anything about that show to me. But it was, but it happened to be uh, to line up with when Freaks and Geeks was starting. So, have you have you worked with him other than Freaks and Geeks, John Apatow? Uh, no, I've I've gone in and done. He'll do sometimes when he has a script going. He'll have like a punch up session with with writer. He'll have friends come in and and give notes and stuff. And I've done that a few times with him, but I haven't I haven't worked with him again. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a. It, did, well, it never caught on really when it was on, but obviously, I know not to tell you. It's, it's weird how it lives on. I mean, it's, my it's, God. it's interesting to have written television in this era where things last forever now, you know, because it really does. It gives I, people time. You're right. You know, I, I, I used to um, re- record, you know, in the, with the VCR, record whatever was on Sunday nights on Fox when it was like Married with Children and right. The Simpsons and Tracy Ullman maybe back then or whatever shows they had back then. Right. And then, you know, like 10 years later, I still have this VHS tape with all these like random TV shows and like I'm such a pack rat. I'm like, well, I don't, if I don't keep this, I may never be able to see this again. Right. No, you don't have to keep anything You don't have to ever. keep anything. Yeah. No. And even if you thought something was lost, it's still going to come back. Yeah. Someone's going to release it and you can buy it or you can stream it or I've been making anything. I've been making a documentary this last year and just the stuff that I've been able to dig up that there's just no reasonable reason why it still exists at all has been incredible. What is that? What are you doing? I'm making a documentary about an actor and singer named Michael DeBar who has this sort of remarkable career that winds through like Sidney Poitier and Led Zeppelin and he played at Live Aid and you know and he he was into Sir with Love and he was you know in WKRP and still you know just did an NCIS last month and he, so he's had like this 50 year career where he's you know he's had three or four different bands and you know and played with you know, with the power station he was the lead singer of the power station when robert palmer dropped out so he did all the live aid and all the live tours and so it's so it's the the documentary is just you know displaying this interesting life of his and i've got some great i've got like um like gabriel byrne and 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 john taylor from duran duran steve jones from the sex pistols and don johnson this very eclectic sort of Oh, list wow. of his friends and people he's worked with over the years but it's been it's basically been my last year has been working on that oh okay and what do you want to do with that when it's done uh i guess you know what you do with documentaries you go out to festivals and hope someone buys it to distribute it either in theaters or on cable or yeah. eventually it, i'm sure it'll be on netflix you know <laughs> nothing and wrong 10 with that. years from now someone will go hey i just saw your movie you know? yeah 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 exactly chris what do you do on the rest of the year uh, probably just building some more monuments. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you've been clear about this. Chris just erect. Chris was has erected has been for the last several years raising money and and promoting the idea of 
building monuments to the Bill of Rights on okay. the ca- on the grounds on of state, state capitals all across the country and in other places, which started off as a comedy routine about the Ten Commandments, about how instead of taking the Ten Commandments down, we should just put the Bill of Rights up next to them so people can comparison shop. <laughs> because of what a great deal the Bill of Rights gives you, it tells you speak freely, carry a gun, pursue happiness, and then it presumes that you're innocent. And my religion doesn't come anywhere close to that. slide. <laughs> right. Uh, and then I discovered there weren't any, and I thought it was a good idea, Common Ground Project, and I grew up in D.C., okay, city of monuments, son of a lawyer, so he's probably laughing at me from beyond the grave now. Like, I <laughs> Notice he didn't say heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my belief system in play. I didn't say hell either, did That's I? Not, hey. He said beyond the grave. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is that seven feet under beyond the grave? What is that? Uh, beyond <laughs> beyond the urn. Let's put it the, he's laughing at me from beyond the urn. Um, uh, and we just put up the first monument of the Bill of Rights anywhere in the United States at the Arizona State Capitol, and it's really, really a beautiful project. And, uh, and, and there's the, no state that needs it more than Arizona. That's true. Uh, it's funny. We actually proposed to the state of Arizona at one point because we got a letter from a teacher in Nogales saying, I teach this bilingually to all my kids. Is is there any chance of making this a bilingual monument? So we actually took that to the Arizona Historical Advisory Commission. Shockingly, they didn't, they didn't think that they, they did not. One person at the board meeting, I wasn't there. We sent a representative there. One person at the board meeting went, well, uh, is there actually room to put this in Spanish on the, uh, on the stone? And everybody else at the board meeting went, Phil, we're not anywhere close to that question. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the question that's You mean on they the didn't table. want to embrace? Well, the funny thing, I'm glad I wasn't in the room because my thought was, hey, look, people, you know why we need to put this in Spanish as well as English on this monument? Because in 20 years, those people are going to be a majority, and I want them to know what the fuck my rights are at that point. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that you can't say when you're doing that sort of thing. In Arizona, they'd check the papers of the guy engraving Spanish on the monument. Yeah, no kidding. And and what I found out was that even the uh, – as as far as the uh, leadership in the Hispanic community, that's not a real big issue for them. That's not the language of the future for their own kids. So, you know, they they don't – it's not – that's not the issue. The issue is uh, treat me like a citizen you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it, but there was a great process. The sculptors are some of the – this guy's one of the best stone sculptors in the country, Joseph Kincannon, who did it. And we're going to find out whether finishing the first one leads to uh, uh, maybe a top-down effort. We, we supported that. with a, We had a comedy concert that was one of the – it was our only big fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Raised over $100,000. You're going to dig this lineup. Louis Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Wright. Nice. Uh, uh, Kathleen Madigan, uh, Bill Engvall, Bobcat Goldthwaite. Wow. Uh, um, Dick Gregory, Tom Smothers, and Father Guido Sardinia. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It was a three-and-a-half-hour show. It was one of the best shows that anybody had ever It was such a good show. It was really unbelievable. At Symphony Hall in Arizona, we raised over 100000 uh, in Phoenix uh, on that event and uh, it put the project on the map and the talk is of trying to do maybe a national show so we'll see I mean I think there's a possibility now um, and that would be exciting people don't think about the power of stuff like monuments but if you've ever been to Washington D.C. either as or with a child you know that they really do make an impression over time and I would think that having the Bill of Rights uh, every word of it outside every state capital in the country in a monumental display over the next 50, 100 years would have an impact Wow! on what, on what happens in those buildings. 
So and he tells dick jokes. So really, and dick jokes. All that end. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything from my, and it actually tells t- some Bill of Rights dick jokes. That's right. Because it's, it's actually the First Amendment that lets us. It's a say most it's a thin stuff. needle to thread, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. <laughs> there you go. I told you my one funny Bill of Rights joke. That was it. Tell uh, it. The dick jokes are always classic, though. They're always good. <laughs> Uh, you don't tell me any. You don't. Do you have any dick jokes? I don't have many dick jokes. That's why I'm not a successful comedian. Raging boner. You had raging boner in your act. I, I did, but it always comes right after you do your boner bit. So I, I just, I just, it's, yeah. it, it totally we, we disempowers back, the word boner. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go with hard on or something that has that kind <laughs> no, of power. Boners, but boner's the boner's the word. But you're using it, and it just boner's you've already you've deflated the power of the boner. You said you, someone was singing. You made last the word night. boner flat. Acid. <laughs> Josh is a very good singer, and uh, not only do we do a number, to, can we do the fat? Boy we do Slim the fat song? boy Slim number as the closer to the whole and he show. Sings it and Seriously, he raps it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, he's very capable, and he does the Beatles thing before that. So you got a sixty-year-old man. That, he does a, a, a typical comedy club closer bit that that's it's like list comedy. Only instead of list, it's a series of. A song strung together with a the premise is good. It's a nice premise, but it's. I don't want to burn my closer for the listening yeah, audience. Hey, but uh, but it's just... really good and really unexpected. How many different voices do you do in that? Uh, uh, at it, least d- it varies from at night to eight. night. At least eight. I'm talking when you cover from Neil Young to uh, I mean from Neil Diamond. You, you I do, do Neil, Neil Young, Young sometimes. too. Sometimes. Yeah, he looks, all the Neils. Yeah, he looks That's over right. at me and he sings "Old Man." <laughs> 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 Old man, look at my life. I got a feeling. I got a feeling that'll be in the show. It will right? now. Yeah. <laughs> they, man. Anything else you guys want to? We are probably out of time. Anything else you want to promote? Mention? Um, Twitter, Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, J. Elvis Weinstein. And Twitter, or, I mean, couldn't be designed better than for somebody like you. I like Twitter. Fine. Yeah. There you go, fellas. That's it. Thank yeah. you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you you. very, very much. Everybody should come out and see you. I am going to do the same.